Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subjects you're debating in the beautiful game. Got quite a show for you again today, and as we said on Tuesday, that the window's closed. The Transfer Window podcast is always open for business and we have some exclusive news on a Man United star as well as wage discoveries which will probably make your eyes pop as well as news on Arsenal, Manchester City, Real Madrid and lots, lots more. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me, as always, is the man himself, Mr. Duncan Castles. We're going to start at Old Trafford with a shock move for one of, I'd say, a fan favourites, Duncan, in Juan Mata, who has been offered a very, very lucrative deal to move from Manchester to Saudi Arabia. It's our information that Mata has an offer worth around $15 million net per year to go and play in the Saudi Arabia League. Uh, it's not the case uh, at this moment in time that Manchester United um, have entered into negotiations. We can't disclose the name of the club at this moment in time, but we are certain that the offer is there. Um, his father, who's his agent, is confident that... Manchester United would release Mata uh, on a freedom of contract after he had his contract extended by the optional year in his current deal over the summer. Mata himself has yet to commit, however, at those kind of uh, numbers, you'd have to think that he would be tempted. And it certainly is the case that uh, Saudi Arabia is desperate to... uh, promote itself as a footballing nation, as we know, as well as um, being a place where players can earn extremely high amounts of money. And of course, it will be tax free. Um, Duncan, you're quite familiar with um, some players or managers who've been in Saudi Arabia. Um, Do you think Mata would be tempted by this, especially? And I'm just throwing this one in here his charity project about giving 1% of salaries to um, a foundation, it sounds to me like this would be something which might be quite tempting from his point of view in terms of that particular motivation. Well, yeah, that's a good point. Well, Matt has always been very generous in his um, charitable behaviour and his general social behaviour. Um Interesting that his father thinks he can get him out of United and his current contract um, without cost. Um, he has not featured in any of United's three Premier League squads so far this season. Uh, if we look back in his numbers last year, played just 752 minutes of Premier League football, um, was a starter in just eight games. And obviously since then, United have signed Bruno Fernandes, and Donny van de Beek, so two players who comfortably can play his preferred position of number 10. And they also, of course, have Paul Pogba, who, who likes playing number 10, but doesn't get to do so as often since uh, Bruno Fernandes arrived at the club. So you could see the, the sporting sense in this um, for Manchester United, although um, they had the opportunity to let Mata leave for nothing at the end of his last contract, decided against that. Um, so obviously they went into this season uh, with the perspective that he was an important player to retain in the squad. Um, and you know he has shown his importance on the field, probably the best player on the pitch in their, in their best victory this season. He's intelligent. He brings a, a different style of play to, uh, to, to uh, a number of the players in the squad. And, and has always been extremely committed and focused on, on doing well. Um, I understand that Saudi Arabia's interest in Premier League players doesn't end with Juan Mata, that there's also been a proposal to Mesut Ozil, which would go down very well with the hierarchy at Arsenal if they were 
to manage to get Ozil off their books, uh, given that they've left them out of their Europa League squad and have been trying to get him to accept a, a settlement on his contract for some time now, unsuccessfully. Um, watched him uh, do a very intelligent and, and I think quite amusing uh, public relations move in, in uh, going on social media to, to back your uh, your favourite Gunnar Soros and and, uh, and guarantee that we would cover Gunnar Soros's wages for as long as he remained at the club, um, but I believe Ozil has turned that move down, um, partly because uh, of his uh, his relationships and uh, um, and his history with Turkey, who of course do not have the best of diplomatic relations with Saudi Arabia at present. That is very true, Duncan. It is our understanding that there is still a huge diplomatic fallout over the murder of the Saudi Arabian journalist Jamal Khashoggi in the Saudi Arabian embassy in Istanbul. And it is correct for you to say that uh, Meza Ozil is um, a friend, personal friend of the president of Turkey. Um, and it's has been said to us that um, a move to Saudi Arabia would upset that relationship and out of respect for that relationship, Ozil is willing um, to give up the potential earnings of $20 million net per season as a result uh, of the fact that he would be um, going to a country where uh, he would not please uh, the people who he feels close to. Saudi Arabia, interesting though, Duncan, making uh, moves for stellar players, you'd have to say. Players who would be very much recognised um, to the television audiences in the Middle East, uh, Mata and Ozil. Players who, you'd have to say, if they managed to attract them, would be uh, a big boon for them. Um, and even if Ozil is turning it down for personal reasons, uh, we certainly know he doesn't need the money. Uh, well, maybe he could take Gunnar Soros with him. Uh, and Gunnar Soros could take the $20 million uh, per season net. But uh, certainly in Mata's case, I think this is going to be a very interesting one because um, we do understand that Manchester United are unaware of the negotiation between his father, his agent, and uh, Saudi Arabian League with regards to this move and that it's being kept uh, under wraps until a formal offer is uh, made and therefore negotiations with Manchester United would start. I certainly, certainly wouldn't want to wear the Gunnar Soros outfit in a Saudi Arabian uh, climate and stadium. <laughs> in Riyadh. <laughs> um, I reckon they could probably get a personal air conditioning inside the Gunasaurus outfit, uh, the same way as Qatar are putting air conditioning into their stadia for the 2022 World Cup. Um, let's test that theory out. We're going to move now from the Middle East to central Spain and Real Madrid. Um, some of you may have seen some quotes from the ever mischievous Mr. Paul Pogba uh, while on international duty. And uh, this is the classic, isn't it, Duncan, where a player gives an interview on international duty, his club get upset with it, uh, he comes back and he's forced to say that, oh yeah, it was lost in translation, etc., etc. But Pogba effectively said... Um, I'm happy at Manchester. I'm happy in Manchester. I'm having fun. I want to get the team back where it deserves. Um, however, uh, it's every player's dream to play for Real Madrid. So in the future, why not? Um, now, as you know, it is our duty um, on the Transfer Window podcast on your behalf to speak to our contacts and uh, find out what they say to um, comments like this from a player like Paul Pogba because uh, there is no smoke without fire and certainly we want to discover um, first and that you know first if uh, anything has moved on with regards to a move from Old Trafford to the Santiago Bernabeu which has been mooted for more than 18 months now. Uh, Duncan, I've certainly spoken to uh, people I know at Real Madrid and 
my information is that the club is planning a fairly major, major spend, which is not done in this summer, uh, next summer. We know of their interest in Kylian Mbappe. Indeed, we know that both uh, Liverpool and Manchester United interest Kylian Mbappe himself, as you've reported in the podcast. Um, however, uh, it seems to be the vision of coach Zinedine Zidane, not surprisingly, to build a new spine of his team around three France international players, those being Raphael Varane in central defence, Paul Pogba in central midfield, and Kylian Mbappe as the centre point of his attack. Now, this is not an unusual uh, way to build a team through, and uh, it's certainly the case that um, you would think the understanding which Pogba and Mbappe have shown um, in their time at the France national team and, of course, as World Cup winners, would be a winning combination. Um, people close to Mbappe talk about his friendship with Pogba and how he sees Pogba not quite as a mentor, but certainly someone he respects and someone who he looks up to in terms of his football and the fact that um, he sees Pogba as a leader. This is going to be a huge amount of investment, Duncan, if this goes through. Uh, I think we're looking at an excess of 200 million euros for Mbappe. However, Mbappe will be a year less in contract next summer. Pogba will have one year left as of next summer as well. Therefore, the uh, almost the 100 million euros fee that United paid for him um, will be greatly reduced, certainly more than by half. Do you think this is realistic? for Real Madrid, um, given that they're currently investing hugely in the refurbishment of the Santiago Bernabeu. And of course, in doing so, uh, same as every other club, they're missing out massively on match day revenue through COVID restrictions as well. Look, if Real Madrid wanted Paul Pogba, they could have tried to get him this summer. They obviously decided against that and decided not to invest in this transfer market. It should be easier in a, sum, in a summer's time, uh, Pogba's contract expires in a summer's time, although Manchester United have an option to extend for a further year. Uh, in the past, Ed Woodward has usually exercised those options. Um, you could foresee a situation where he decides to try and extract some money from Real Madrid uh, by taking the option and then, uh, and then trying to um, negotiate a transfer fee there. Um, Look, it's a difficult decision, this one, or, or it has been a difficult decision for Manchester United. They keep uh, sticking with Pogba despite his repeated statements that he wants to play for other clubs, repeated statements that he wants to play for Real Madrid. Uh, and and they, they stick in this expectation that he will finally perform on the field. We're certainly not seeing that on the field at present. Um, quite the opposite. He, he, he looks um, as disinterested and uh, inconsistent as he's done through you know, the worst periods of his, his time at United. Perhaps that will change. But um, if this was supposed to be the season with Bruno Fernandes in alongside him and Donny van de Beek added, in which the midfield uh, key hears together into something that is competitive for the Premier League title, um, it's going to have to have a radical change to the, the start of the season. It's interesting, I think, that in that press conference, Pogba himself says that um, he's not spoken to Ed Woodward and that no one has told him anything and that they've not spoken about a new deal. So from on, according to his account, Manchester United are not doing anything to extend his terms. And in normal circumstances, if the long-term plan was to retain the player, you'd expect them to have, have started operating on that now because he is effectively um, just a few months away from being able to negotiate a transfer, a free transfer on a freedom of contract basis to any club he wants. Of course, United can stop that by exercising the option. But, there, you know, 
if he was a central player to their long-term plans, this should be under discussion already, and it's not. Kylian Mbappe, I think, is a far more complicated deal for Real Madrid to do, certainly a more expensive deal. Um, Mbappe, as, as we told you in the podcast, has been uh, planning his future and, and does not see himself remaining long-term at Paris Saint-Germain. He's told uh, the hierarchy at PSG that he intends to leave next summer when his contract will be down to a single year and his transfer value will have reduced. Um, he is interested in Real Madrid, Barcelona, Liverpool, Manchester United. If, as he has told friends, I think you've got to add Manchester City to that equation. And I think you will probably see a, a battle royale between the top clubs to try and secure a player who at 21 um, looks like having you know 10 years ahead of him at the top of, of European football and, and a player you can really build a, a team around and expect um, top success from. So that fight, I think, is more complicated. If Pogba can get himself out to Real Madrid and fulfil his dream, um, then you you don't see um, Pogba agitating in any other direction other than to try and achieve that move away. As simplistic as it sounds, Duncan, it is still the case that um, it can be easier to buy players in twos than ones. And by that, I mean, if you're buying a player who um, has a friend who's coming to in this case, Pogba, uh, he's got another one in Varane uh, already at the club. I'm not saying Mbappe is a, some kind of shy uh, teenager who needs to be um, uh, taken under a wing. Uh, I'm sure he's his own man and, and would uh, certainly stand up to anything that came uh, across him in terms of challenges. But at the same time, playing with the best players is always a massive, massive uh, uh, motivational factor for other players who see themselves in that elite category. And I'm sure that Mbappe and Pogba have that mutual respect. Uh, and indeed Varane as well. So I think, I just wonder that um, if Madrid are looking at Pogba as A, economically good value, he's not, you know, he's not in it, even in his prime yet, really. Uh, and also, um, if they get him for even half of what Manchester United paid for him from Juventus, then the idea that it was encouraging Mbappe to choose Madrid over um, the Premier League or anywhere, anywhere else, um, including Barcelona, then that would be good value for money in investing in Pogba. Um, Pogba Pogba's 27 now, so... If he's going to find his prime, he needs to do it quite soon. Uh, and people have been waiting for him to turn into the top player in the world. That's his ambition to be recognised as the top player in the world for a long time now. And you have to say his time at Manchester United has only <laughs> sent him headed in the other direction. Um, in terms of Mbappe, everything I hear about him and talking to people close to him, I think he'll be extremely strategic, he and his father, in what they do. They had this opportunity before them when they left AS Monaco. Uh, Manchester City wanted to sign him then. Real Madrid wanted to sign him then. Paris Saint-Germain wanted to sign him. There was a decision to go to three of the top leagues in the world and three of the top clubs in the world. He actually had agreed to go to Real Madrid. Contract terms, the, the everything done apart from signature on contract and deal completed with Monaco and Monaco were happy to sell to Real Madrid at that time and he stepped away from that deal because he felt that the risk was that he'd be perceived as a replacement for Cristiano Ronaldo. He didn't want to move to Real Madrid as with that pressure placed upon him, felt it was easier and, and more sensible to stay within French football, to move to Paris, play for PSG um, to, at the same time as Neymar had arrived so that the, the central focus of attention was in Neymar. And the decision has worked out for him, but I think he will be strategic again. Yes, he wants to play in Spain. Yes, Real Madrid is, is attractive to him. But I, I think Barcelona can also be attractive to him if they sort 
their finances and their um, their sporting structure out in time. Um, and and he's on record as saying that he is interested in playing the Premier League and how much he likes Liverpool as a club. Um, I don't think they will be pushed into a decision and I don't think they'll make decisions primarily on the basis of who they get to play football alongside. It will be project. It will be... Um, chances of success it'll be a strategic development of of his career because that's the way they've operated so far in what is still a young career as a footballer indeed and anyone who's seen him play for france over the last few days will have been reminded of just how uh, remarkable this young man is uh, aged only 21 uh, in the way he uh, conducts himself uh, on and off the field but certainly in the way he finishes uh, of chances. Um, at the other end of the spectrum, Duncan, um, Edison Cavani, as we know, signed for Manchester United on deadline day. Uh, another PSG or former PSG player at the age of 33. Um, we did say uh, this in the earlier podcast this week that this feels like it's got a bit of Radamel Falcao about it. Um, and a lot of people um, have been commentating that uh, if this is a cultural reboot at Manchester United, then it feels like we've been here before. It does seem like we've been here before in terms of the wages because, Duncan, you've got details on what Cavani will be earning at Old Trafford, especially for someone who is, as I said, in the uh, twilight of his career, let's just say, but also um, someone who is there just for one year plus a potential year extension. Yeah, we said that Manchester United should really have done this deal earlier if he was the first choice to strengthen that he had uh, turned down uh, the opportunity to play for Paris Saint-Germain through the post-COVID um, Champions League uh, period. Uh, so he stopped playing football for them in March. He'd been available for months. A lot of clubs had looked at him. One of the clubs who tried very hard to sign him and earlier in the summer was Benfica. Um, I'm told by contacts at the club that Benfica's best offer to Cavani was €6 million Euros net, which is a very substantial sum for a Portuguese club. He came down in his demands to €8 million Euros net per season by the end of the negotiations. And that was for a three-year deal. Now, um, Benfica think that Manchester United paid more than that. Um, their information is that he was paid €9 million Euros for the first season and will get €8 million Euros net for the second season, plus a €9 million Euros signing bonus for joining Manchester United. The other guy who, who's actually on record talking about this is Paulo Futre, who um, importantly was brokering the deal for Cavani to move to Benfica, so was intimately involved in those negotiations between Benfica and Cavani's family over a contract to move to Portuguese football. He talked on on uh, Portuguese television recently about um, the contract offer from Manchester United, and he said he was shown it by um, Cavani's brother um, during a, a meeting they had in Lisbon. He said the offer was for actually for ten million net um, plus two million of bonuses. Um, and he, he was so adamant about his information at one point in this TV interview. He said, I swear by my sons, which is, I'm told, is a, a very Portuguese way of underlining uh, that uh, you are not lying when you're talking about something like that. Information I have from France, obviously, where they um, were following this story because he'd been at PSG, is of a similar figure, around 10 million euros a season net. So, you're talking about a very substantial salary um, for a player who um, ultimately none of the other top clubs in Europe were prepared to to take on board um, as a as a free contract player. I, I think he will improve Manchester United's attack significantly. I think they need an alternative to Anthony Martial. He's a different kind of player. He's a winner um, and he's focused, but... Um, one of the other problems they have with leaving it so late, although they have saved themselves a bit of money on that substantial salary, is he's currently in quarantine and is likely to miss 
um, at least one of Manchester United's next set of fixtures, which, I mean, you don't look very attractive for uh, for a team that's just lost 3-1 to Crystal Palace, um, 6-1 to Tottenham at home and, uh, and got lucky against Brighton. They play Newcastle United, Paris Saint-Germain, Chelsea, Leipzig and Arsenal in their next five games. Certainly is the case that... Um... Kefani comes with a lot of expectation on his shoulders for someone who, as said, is um, in the twilight of his career rather than in the prime. Duncan, we've had a very interesting, uh, let's just say, a spotting uh, of Ferran Soriano, uh, the Man City chief executive, this week. Uh, he's not a man who makes himself available in public very often, but has been speaking um, in a virtual football conference this week. And interesting to see um, when questioned on Manchester City's spending, um, exactly how he was justifying uh, the amount of money, of course, that they have spent. And of course, on the back of this particular window, the amount of money they've spent on defenders. Um, is it kind of normal for you to see the narrative being sort of trotted out the way it has been? Well, what he said to justify the, the spend on Ruben Gias um, and Nathan Aki, Aki for over £40 million, uh, Ruben Gias for over €65 million Euros, um, from Benfica, was that... Uh, that they are a business. And he said, ultimately, if you believe like we believe that COVID is just a period of time and that we have to carry on with our business, then we have to carry on with our business. We believe that revenues will come back. The team is the engine of the business. If we don't play good football, we have no business. We can't negate that. We can't avoid it. So this conversation about business and then being a, an economic entity was was one thing I found quite surprising about Ferran Soriano's justification because clearly we know that Manchester City are not a normal business. They are run, controlled by Abu Dhabi. It is a nation state project. It is about the image of the country. It's about soft political power. Um, it's, it is not... <laughs> and anyone at the highest level of football will tell you this, and that's why there has been so much uh, complaint about the way Manchester City have conducted themselves in the Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi era, is they do not operate by the same rules as other clubs. Um, the other thing I found amusing was the, the justification of their spend um, uh, as, as being net spending. He said, I know the media just portrays the gross spending on players, but you have to look at net spending. Um, we sold a player to Bayern Munich, Leroy Sani, for £49 million. We then signed a player, Ferran Torres, for £23 million. Sometimes these things are out of context. Um, found that very amusing, given that any look at the figures during the period in which Ferran Soriano has been in charge, during the period in which um, Abu Dhabi have controlled Manchester City will say that it's not just gross spending, which is the highest of any club ever in that period, well over a billion euros spent on uh, transfer fee commitments in that period, but the net spend as well, so that you have the, the CIES football observatory figures for the 2009 to 2019 decade, Manchester City's net spend on transfers 1 billion and 91 euros over those 10 years um, the highest by well over 100 million ahead of Paris Saint-Germain no surprise another nation state run club um, the idea you can justify and talk about their spending being rational on a net spend basis, just uh, ridiculous. But then we know that Manchester City try and create these narratives. We've seen um, Khaldun Al-Mubarak in his end of season uh, addresses to the supporters uh, do similar things in the past. Um, so I guess we shouldn't really be too surprised by it by now. I'm not surprised by the spending, that's for sure, um, with regards to uh, what they've invested and indeed 
as we have pointed out on the Transfer Window podcast, the amount of money that's been invested in defenders alone, over £400 million. Uh, so yes, it has um, certainly got a narrative feel about it, Duncan, that's for sure. Um, CIA's ES figures you mentioned there, um, they've been uh, just published for the summer window. And some interesting context has uh, emerged because it seems like England and the Premier League have decided to buck the trend of the rest of Europe and decided that spending your way out of the recession is the best way to do it. Yeah, they, they, they've looked at the, the spending across the big five leagues, as they're called. So England, um, well, Premier League, uh, Ligue 1, La Liga, Serie A and the Bundesliga. And they find that if you compare um, this summer window to the 2019 summer window, the total uh, value of transfer market commitments is down 43%. Um, and across the whole year, it comes down 30%. So if you look uh, 2020, including January um, to 2019, the two windows, it comes down from a total of 6.63 billion to 4.62 billion. The Premier League is the least affected. The Premier League summer spend was down just 10%. Um, the other four on average down by 54%, which is a massive drop. And in particular, La Liga in Spain, the, 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 Commitments to transfer fees in the summer were 75% down on the 2019 summer window. Um, some other interesting parts were the, the percentage of free transfers was at an all-time high, um, going up to 32%. Um, and again, Premier League an outlier here. They were the only one of those five leagues in which the, the number of free transfers actually declined rather than increased. Um, a record number of players taken on loan, 30% taken on loan, which I think is an indicator of the number of deals where you have players taken on loan with an obligatory option to buy. So, so clubs trying to delay their um, spend on players for a year while they get through this COVID period. Um, I, I think the reason, one of the reasons why La Liga is so different from the Premier League is La Liga didn't really have the option of gambling through this. Uh, this COVID window, uh, their budgets are controlled by the league. They look at a club's revenues and the, the league says, this is the maximum amount you can spend in the summer. You've got to either get wages down or you've got to make sales. We're not going to let you go above a, a certain amount. And you have deals like Mark Rocca. Um, we talked about how Atletico had a deal in place with Espanyol to buy um, the player for 15 million euros. They weren't able to do it because they didn't have room on their budget to, to make the deal happen. In the end, uh, Rocca went to Bayern Munich instead for, a, for the same fee, 15 million euros guaranteed, plus some um, uh, performance-related variables. So, so La Liga, I think, were actually controlled by the rules and controlled by the economic environment to stop their spending. They didn't have a choice. I think when the Premier League, obviously you have the outlier of Chelsea where they had money held back because of their transfer window ban and because they didn't do anything in January. But I think also with the Premier League, you're seeing clubs saying, well, I think we are going to recover from this. We'll buy the players now in the expectation that we can fund it with future revenue. They don't have the same um, rules uh, where, where the Premier League is saying this is a, a hard limit on your spend. Um, therefore, clubs have, uh, have pushed money into the market. And when you had Chelsea doing that, when you had Manchester City spending, I think that also provoked Liverpool to spend um, at the end of the window on players but after a period in which they, they looked like they were going to try and shut down spending and, and just held um, with what they have. So you also have that competitive effect of if your neighbour or your adversary is going and investing, um, you get worried that they're going to overtake you in the field, so you go and spend too. Quite um, serious uh, differences there, Duncan, in terms of the figures between um, other European leagues and the Premier League. Um, it does feel a bit like 
even though spending um, has reduced by a small margin percentage-wise. Uh, in England, um, clubs have not yet uh, felt the financial pinch in terms of what will be a post or indeed ongoing pandemic economic reality. Uh, and certainly, of course, there is a huge argument still being played out about the EFL bailout as well with regards to um, money trickling down in order to sustain clubs in the country who are not as well off. Um, yeah, and, and we should add that those figures for the Premier League aren't complete because, of course, the, the domestic window in which Premier League teams can buy from EFL clubs remains open. And I'd be very surprised if we get to that deadline next week where the domestic window closes and there hasn't been more significant spending. Um, for example, Saeed Benrama, uh, probably the best player in the championship at present, is being targeted by a number of Premier League clubs. I'm told there's three clubs that are serious about him at present and um, Brentford won't. 25 million or more for for the player and and the player I'm told wants substantial uh, financial terms to move to the Premier League. You've also got Josh King at Bournemouth, who um, few clubs have had a look at. Uh, West Ham United, uh, I think West Brom have an interest. I think Brighton had a look at him and but have probably decided not to do that deal. Again, you're looking at 10 million or more for that transfer fee and and reasonable wages. And and I think there could be a few others um, moving up. Uh, Watford are trying to sell a number of players. You have uh, Tottenham Hotspur looking for a centre-back and uh, Championship, the only real avenue to do that. So those those numbers and the differential between the leagues should get bigger still. And remember, (laughs) the the Premier League was already outspending all of those European leagues on last summer's figures. So So the gap in terms of investment in players has only grown um, with this uh, COVID effect on the, on the, this summer's transfer window. And not only that, Duncan, um, the Premier League clubs have made it clear that they do not want to negotiate the bailout that we mentioned uh, previously until the Championship stroke EFL transfer window closes on October the 16th, which kind of infers that they want to almost means test uh, each club for how much bailout money they should get, dependent on what Premier League clubs may well spend on buying their players, which seems a little bit, um, I don't know, uh, you know, Oliver Twist. Can I have some more, please, sir? So um, very um, uh, typical, probably, as most EFL clubs would say, of the Premier League. The club that performed probably the biggest in terms of um, miracle and great escape last season, Duncan Southampton, uh, after that incredible drubbing they took at the hands of Leicester City, uh, when everyone thought that they would definitely be relegated uh, after uh, the turn of the year. And yet, of course, as we know, they went on a run which saw them survive very comfortably, etc. Things not quite so comfortable at St Mary's now, though, because the, uh, the finances have not been great. The ownership um, has certainly been less than, um, let's just say, present and keen to be responsible. And now they find themselves in quite a pickle with regards to how they refinance and how things go forward from here. Yeah, we we told you in the podcast uh, several months ago that the club was up for sale, that the Chinese um, ownership wanted out. Um, that uh, is there. There is a, an agreement in place to sell the club. The numbers are in place, and the Chinese will sell to a consortium led by Joe De Grossa, um, who um, is, likes to has well. He wants to build a model similar to Manchester City's, and talked about um, City Football Group, Abu Dhabi's. Um, uh, multiple ownership of clubs across various countries as being the way to go and, and replicate. Calls it his group, the Capital Football Group, Capital is a K. Um, I don't know if he's a fan of, of Marx or or not, but um, the seriously, he's, he's gone for Capital with a K. Is yeah. he like running some running some kind of um, high street uh, charity shop in Crawley? <laughs> <laughs> 
Maybe, um, maybe if he adds a German club, they'll turn it into Das Capital Football Group. Ah, uh, well, we'd love that. We're big fans of car marks on the Transform the Podcast. But um, not only has he been talking about this and and saying that CFG are a good example, but they think they can do better, which uh, our plan is in this environment. We think there's unique opportunities that have opened up to us that otherwise didn't exist for CFG in the past. We want to capitalise on it, both in terms of speed of execution, as well as ultimately what we're paying for the clubs relative to what they may have paid. Um, and you know, people in, in football finance are questioning whether CFG is really the model you want to copy because they have never turned a profit. And, you know, as we've talked about, it's not a standard business model. It's about um, other things. Uh, and uh, uh, if you want to emulate that, it helps having uh, a huge amount of free capital, uh, free DAS capital to work with at the start of the process so you can uh, buy these clubs and develop the kind of networks that that uh, City City Football Group and Abu Dhabi have. Um, in this case, the money is coming from uh, primarily from uh, various sources, but financing which will require a uh, profit in the short term or at least the medium term um, to sustain itself. Uh, the Premier League are looking at this. They are, are going through the financial uh, plan and the identity of the uh, central um, backers of De Grossa uh, and have to make a decision on, um, on whether they will approve it or not. Interestingly, I understand that the principal provider of cash for the takeover is a New York-based private equity company. Um, who not only want to purchase a large stake in Southampton, but they also want to get involved in financing transfer deals at other football clubs, including other Premier League clubs. Now, this is pretty standard at the moment. There are a number of uh, financial groups who have been providing capital and uh, liquidity to Premier League and other clubs to allow them to do transfers, um, putting the money up front so that the transfer fee can be paid and taking an interest charge over the, the course of the, the ownership of the player. And obviously that has helped with, uh, with the difficulties of COVID, but was being used um, long before COVID came into place. What you do have a, a question mark over is whether you can have one of those providers of capital um, owning a percentage of a club and then also getting involved in the financing of player transactions at other Premier League clubs. There's an obvious potential conflict of interest there and it will be interesting to see what the Premier League's final decision is on this. My understanding is that there are reservations over it and it is possible that uh, approval may be blocked on um, that and potentially other issues. So Southampton might have to wait for their new owners. But as it stands, I don't think a decision has been made. I don't think there'll be any um, debate, Duncan, about potential third-party ownership and conflict of interest. If a investor in a football club and a major, potentially, um, majority shareholder had then investments based on players and other clubs. Um, yes, they could hide them potentially because the model right now is that you can loan a club a player in order that they can amortise the fee, which effectively means that they can um, pay instalments without having to declare on their books for one year or two years. It can be done over several um, then you could probably <clears throat> work it so as you take a percentage of the player's ownership rights and then a profit on his transfer, which could then be paid at a later date when the player is transferred. So therefore, any offence, if you like, that you commit in terms of TPO, the infamous third-party ownership, um, would be difficult to prove um, unless you had the paper trail, which led to the player's transfer at some point after he left the club um, that bought him um, and, of course, the investment firm who financed the transfer. But um, I can't see the Premier League being so naive 
<clears throat> as to think that, you know, they wouldn't be able to show that or prove that. And um, given that they are very black and white about TPO, I just don't see how that's uh, going to work out in terms of Southampton or, or indeed any other club. Well, it's not... This, this kind of structure is acceptable in the Premier League at present, so it's not regarded as third-party ownership under Premier League rules. What I'll say is that my understanding is that the group who, who are providing, while being the principal providers of capital, will not have majority ownership of um, Southampton. That's why De Gross is getting his funding from various people. And they have been very upfront about this. So they have told the Premier League that is their plan. They're not trying to hide things. They're saying we want to get involved in, in ownership of a club and we want to get involved in the funding of players as other groups have done. So um, and in that sense, it's open. It's the Premier League's decision whether they want to go ahead with it or not. I suspect my cash might be knocking on their door at any moment <laughs> to ask a few questions. It is uh, Friday uh, and the second Transfer Window podcast of the week, which means, of course, it's time for the donkey. Um, we've taken great stock, Duncan, haven't we, on um, how we should award uh, this particular um, golden statuette because there have been some interesting situations and indeed potential nominations uh, for uh, the donkey this week. But... We've decided um, that Gareth Southgate, a man who um, is probably um, only second to St. Gary Lineker in terms of his reputation for fair play and being an all-round good guy and always makes revisions in terms of what happens um, in his squads, etc., uh, likes to be able to be seen to do the right thing. And of course he did, because when Jaden Sancho, Tammy Abraham and Ben Chilwell were pictured uh, celebrating Tammy Abraham's 23rd birthday in a uh, environment which contradicted social distancing and indeed social integration rules in the COVID uh, current environment last Saturday, he very quickly said they will not be part of the squad. Uh, they will not be joining up with the squad, uh, the England squad for the Wales game, which took place this week, obviously. And um, we will decide uh, their fate and what to do with them as things go on. And of course, he's had uh, experience of this um, before in terms of dealing with players' discipline, etc. However, a man who apparently uh, prides himself on his moral rectitude, uh, all of a sudden caved. And um, as soon as uh, the meaningless friendly was out of the way, uh, the players were reintegrated into the squad because there are important points to be won. So uh, he decided instead of uh, being true to his principles to instead be morally opportunistic. So we've decided to do this week's donkey as the Gareth Southgate Award for Moral Opportunism in Football, where, of course, results overtake the need to be seen to do the right thing. I have three um, nominations for you, which, of course, are, as always, are in the golden envelope. There we go. And they are, Duncan. Liverpool Football Club for their unending support for the uh, vampire stroke racist uh, uh, well he was convicted of racially abusing Patrice Evra, Luis Suarez um, if you remember the entire squad wore t-shirts indeed to support Suarez so he was found guilty of, ra of um, racially abusing Patrice Evra, uh, for which Patrice, to be fair to him, has subsequently forgiven him. A um, uh, good man that he is. Uh, the second one is uh, back to our old um, friend TPO, third-party ownership, and West Ham's decision to uh, sign Javi Mascherano and Carlos Tevez uh, in a controversial third-party ownership deal, which, of course, resulted in them staying up 
in that particular Premier League year, Tevis single Old Trafford and uh, Sheffield United going down and it also had the consequence of a substantial payment of around £19 million to Sheffield United in compensation for the fact that West Ham had broken the rules. And our third nomination goes to Manchester City for multiple rule breaking with regards to FFP, recruiting young players uh, and just generally um, disrespecting every organisation under which they are assigned, i.e. the Premier League, the FA, UEFA and FIFA, all of whom were at one point in the last year conducting investigations into them. Duncan, I know this is a favourite subject of yours, so I'm going to hand over to you, please, to uh, award this week's donkey. I think you, you summed up at the end there. Uh, Manchester City managed to break rules from all the governing bodies. They've been found guilty of uh, doping rule contraventions early in Pep Guardiola's uh, stay as manager. Um, they have been found guilty by FIFA of signing underage players. They have uh, had a ban imposed on them for uh, recruitment practices in the, the Premier League and of course they have been found guilty of breaking financial fair play rules not once but twice um, so I think uh, regardless of the, the opposition and the strong opposition here um, they get the uh, the Gary Southgate award for more opportunism uh, this week Gareth Southgate, who had ever thought that you would be the man named in a morally opportunistic award? Um, we shall maybe even send you a mini donkey just for that particular achievement on your part. Um, this has been uh, your Transfer Window podcast, and it is your Transfer Window podcast, because as you know, we include you in all ways in our debate. And indeed, if you want to discuss any of uh, the stories and issues we have been discussing today, then please uh, do so. Engage us on our social media channels, which are at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, as well as Duncan at Duncan Castles and myself at Garbles J. Um, we are available on all of your podcast platforms, as well as if it makes sense to you and it's good and easy for you, Go on to YouTube, search at Transfer Window Podcast, and you can listen in there. When you do, make sure you subscribe, and that way you'll be notified of when the next podcast is available to you. Other than that, if you've liked what you've heard, and we know you all do, please log on to iTunes, give us a five-star review, the community expands, we get more and more debate, and of course, that makes a better world for everyone. Until next week... It just leaves me to say, be safe, stay well, and thanks for listening.